2: What's up,
0: RotoViz?
2: Hey everyone, welcome back to Rotoviz Radio, brought to you by Bet Online. I'm Dave Cabin, Senior Fantasy Analyst at Rotoviz. I am not joined by my co-host Matthew Friedman tonight. Matt is swamped preparing for the 2020 NFL draft, getting all of his coverage and have to assume betting info, his picks, all of that squared away. Uh, So we're going to press on without him this week. When Matt gets back next week, we'll talk about Brandon Cooks to the Texans, the fallout on the Rams of Cooks no longer being there. And any of the other news items that have come out since we passed talk. But tonight I want to do something a little bit different, which is review a handful of players that were running back prospect running back prospects in the last five or so years. Just a handful of players and kind of review the profile that these players had going into the NFL, because I know that we've picked up some new listeners this year that might not have been around for some of these conversations that we would have had in years past. And as a result of that, there might not be the level of context as we're talking about some of these prospects from this year that will allow them to get a better sense of how rare some of these traits might be for players, how common certain uh, you know, production amounts are, some of the metrics that we talk about, how common are those and to get a better sense of some of the players that have had good profiles that haven't worked out, uh, some players that have had profiles that might not have jumped off of the page at the time but have worked out. So, we're just going to look at a couple of players. Um, uh, like I said, thanks to Ben Online for sponsoring this episode. We will have a message from them coming up in a couple of minutes. But before we get into that, let's start off talking about Daryl Henderson. A running back out of Memphis, who was my favorite prospect last year, um, he did not have a tremendous rookie season, limited opportunity to prove what he could do. He's one of those prospects that falls into this category of players that didn't really have an opportunity to shine in their first season. And even though they didn't, I don't think that you need to always write these players off. That is more so a situation that occurs when you have a player getting their crack at substantial utilization in an offense, especially at the running back position, having a couple of times to be the RB one in a favorable situation, shoulder, a large workload that never really came to fruition for Henderson last year. But. Let's not focus so much on his production as a rookie. Let's instead go back to that profile coming into school. What did his production in college look like? What did his measurables look like? Why did I like him so much? So like I said, he was a running back out of Memphis on the smaller side, only 5'8", 208. Now, the tricky thing that you have with a school like Memphis is trying to make sense of that production in comparison to the players that you have playing in the SEC, the Big Ten, what have you. Because of that, you might need to discount the production a little bit. I am on board with the thought that you do have to give a little bit of a discount to the production when a player is coming from a school, although I shouldn't necessarily say like a Memphis because they will play some teams that have pretty good um, resumes on paper. Um, It might not look like an SEC type of schedule, but they are still playing some schools that can certainly play ball and can certainly keep running backs in check. So what did Henderson's college production look like as a freshman, 482 yards, five touchdowns, That's actually not that bad for a lot of freshmen. Of course, it doesn't put him in this group of players where we can say they were early contributors, precocious prospects, but it's still better than nothing. Then you see a jump as a sophomore, 1,154 rushing yards, nine touchdowns, and then a tremendous junior season, 1,909 yards, 22 touchdowns. When I start to see touchdowns getting up past 18, 19, that's when I start to take notice. But the other thing that you had to like about Henderson's profile was 63 receptions, eight touchdowns, 758 receiving yards at Memphis. That was pretty good utilization as a receiver. So I think that you would put this into a very strong if you were bucketing uh, collegiate production. This isn't a Jonathan Taylor type of profile with extreme, extreme production, but it is, that is strong college production. Then on top of that, he ran the 40 at 449, which is a 77th percentile 40-yard dash That is perfectly okay speed to be a productive back in the NFL. Now, he gets to a speed score of 102, which is a little bit beyond that threshold of around 100 that we're looking for. Nothing off of the charts, but for a player that can not only run, but can also get involved as a receiver, I think that's fine. Um, His other athletic measurables were... You know, nothing that would call his overall ability into question didn't really differentiate him that much, though, from other backs. However, as I've talked about, something that I recently discovered is fairly predictive is a breakaway rush score, which is the term that I'm using to encapsulate the summation of a player's runs from college over 20 yards added to runs over 40 yards. Now he had a score of 66, which ties Nick Chubb for third on the breakaway rush list of players since 2014. Uh, interestingly enough, the player that's at the top of that list, we have not got to see yet. And I'm really hoping that we get to see him soon. That is Bryce love who unfortunately suffered a pretty grueling injury. Still got drafted by the Redskins alongside another player, Darius Geis, who has been struggling with injury, but we have not got to see what Bryce Love can do yet. So hopefully we get to see that soon. Also at that top of that list is Danelle Pumphrey, another player that like Henderson comes from a smaller school. So I can see how one might want to push back a little bit on this breakaway rush score for a player like Henderson coming from Memphis, I think that's fair. But the takeaway here is even if you want to push back on that, that is still pretty impressive. Even if you discount that by 10%, it's still putting him in a pretty strong grouping. So to me, Daryl Henderson, that's a, that's a really, really strong prospect profile Because you have the requisite speed score, the athleticism's there. You have something like breakaway rush score that you can point to as putting him into a very elite grouping. Perhaps he could be a little bit bigger, does have some of the receiving production. And I also like to have like one really crazy good season for a player, which I think was his junior year, went for well over 2,000 all purpose yards, over 20 touchdowns. You have to like it. So I think that. It's possible that Henderson easily could be an RB2 if he does get the first crack this year at being the main back in the Rams offense. Now, that's not set in stone. We'll have to see what they do in the draft. But I think that if Henderson gets a chance to play, he's certainly going to be an RB2. The one thing that you have to keep in mind is there is a limited ceiling for him. He's not nearly as good as Todd Gurley. And I don't think that he's going to get utilization like we might have seen from Gurley in other years. I think that if the Rams run their offense the way they did last year in a best case scenario, you're probably looking at an expectation of 16 points per game for Henderson, which would be fine, or maybe 16 points per game across all of their running backs. So maybe that would leave Henderson 13 or 14 enough for him to be an RB two, nothing to go crazy over. But I do think he's a solid, solid prospect. That can be an RB2. Maybe we get somewhat of a discount based upon a less than stellar rookie season. So hopefully that gives a little bit of context on some of these other players that we have at the top of the rankings this year, like Dobbins, like Swift, like Jonathan Taylor. Uh, Keep in mind, if I had to rank Henderson in this year's class, it's possible he might even fall behind Cam Akers, maybe just because i think there is the potential that acres is so extraordinary so this is a really really good running back class in 2020 at the top of it um but anyways we will come back and look at a couple more prospects after this message from our sponsor bet online with currently no nba nhl or mlb you might think there's nothing to bet on well you'd be wrong our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on. From their online casino to poker and blackjack, they bring Vegas to you. Missing the NFL? No problem, Bet Online has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you can bet on. You can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the Nathan's Hot Dog eating contest. It's all open 24 hours a day and all online. Use promo code Blue Wire to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. Bet online, your online wagering solution. That Madden tournament, or the Madden simulations, I should say, that actually has me fairly interested. Um, I'm going to be checking that out after uh, I finish up recording here. But, anyways, let's look back at some more of these historical profiles. Some of you may remember Jeremy McNichols generating a lot of buzz, people thinking that maybe he could make things work in San Francisco. Friend of the show, Fantasy Mansion, I believe was really high on Jeremy McNichols for a long time. It didn't really work out for him. But if you look at his profile coming to school, it is really strong. And I think one of the takeaways you're going to have from running through his numbers is there really is no way to be 100% sure on any prospect. Now, I think with a Jonathan Taylor, I can feel really good with a Saquon Barkley. You could feel exceptional. Players like Barkley, exceptional really applies there because he is an exception. Um, we don't see those players that often. You probably could have made that case for like Todd Gurley, a handful of other players. But listen to McNichols' overall profile. So he's 5'9", 214. A speed score of 105. His athletic profile was great. He had solid agility, uh, very good jumping. He was over the 60th percentile in all athletic measurables. On top of that, as a sophomore, 1,337 rushing yards, 20 touchdowns, 1,769 rushing yards, and 23 touchdowns in his junior season. He was playing at Boise State. So again, a school that maybe does not have... A schedule that really makes you feel super great about them, like an SEC schedule, where you're saying, you know, a couple times a year they're they're facing a number of NFL defensive caliber players opposite them. But Boise State, when McNichols was there, did play a handful of solid schools. That is production that's hard to discount. And then on top of that, 103 total receptions for 1,089 yards and 11 touchdowns in his career. So. This was a player that had the athletic measurables, tremendous production, didn't contribute too much early, but when he did contribute as a sophomore and junior was, you know, supremely impressive 43 touchdowns across two years with 1,337 yards followed by 1,769. And that's just rushing. Uh, the receiving ability was there. Of course, McNichols, it didn't work out for. So, it's really hard to be supremely confident about a player absent the exceptions, like I said, but that was a great profile. He actually ended up losing though to Dante Foreman in the 2017 Rotoviz running back tournament that we had um, that year. And I think probably in like, forget it when we started it, but we used to do an NCAA tournament style bracket um, to kind of work through ranking players as a site. But um Yeah. You know, he was a great prospect. So let's talk about Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook's a guy that we bring up a lot on the show with an example of a player that was really elite, that a lot of people felt disappointed at the combine. I think though, in retrospect, it's interesting because Cook was a 5'11", 210 pound prospect, ran the 40 at a 4'49", which is above the 75th percentile of course, only translated to a speed score of 103. Now, that's not bad by any stretch of the imagination, but I think at the time, people thought that Cook could be an 85th percentile or above size-adjusted speed specimen. So in retrospect, I think we need to keep in mind that Cook actually wasn't slow at all. He didn't have bad size-adjusted speed. He just was not this elite athletic specimen. However, though, He did really struggle in the agility, which for sometimes backs that you want to be involved as receivers can be a bad sign. Um, Only 6th percentile in the shuttle, 16th percentile in the cone, so extremely lacking in the agility. However, though, there's reasons that we should have looked past that, and I think this is something that a lot more people have been taking seriously post Dalvin Cook's NFL success. As a freshman, 1,008 yards and eight touchdowns. Keep in mind, when he was a freshman at Florida State, there were other backs that made it to and succeeded in the NFL at the same time. So that is something that you can't discount. Then follows that up with 1,691 yards, 19 touchdowns, 1,765 rushing yards, 19 touchdowns, in an offense that had a lot of NFL talent. So that is hard to knock. 79 recs, 935 yards. A .64 collegiate dominator on his career. Again, in an offense with a number of other NFL caliber players. So I think this speaks to when you have a player that people think could be elite. Doesn't impress at the combine. But still has an amazing track record at a really solid school, you need to think twice about just discounting the player entirely because of the combine. Perhaps you need to fade the combine a little bit more. Um, And, you know, agility can be important for certain profiles, uh, but it isn't always everything. And I think in retrospect with cook, he didn't need to be written off altogether. Not that everybody assumed He was not going to translate into anything in the NFL, but I think that there's a lot of people that would like to change their assessment now. The other thing is, if you looked at his Sims, there was a lot of players. Now, some of these wouldn't have been available at the time. Um, To be honest, I I don't recall which ones or which names would have been in his top 10. But if you look it up now, you have Tevin Coleman, Duke Johnson, LaShawn McCoy. Interestingly enough, Jonathan Taylor pops in there now. J.K. Dobbins, Kadim Carey, who was another solid prospect. And I actually want to talk about Kadim Carey now because he's similar, as you would expect, if he is a comp for Cook, but he did not see that success. He had opportunity with the Bears, the team that drafted him, but wasn't able to translate it. So let's take a quick look at his profile coming out of school. So Kadim Carey was 5'9, weighed 207. Played his college ball at Arizona in the Pac-10, so you don't want to knock his production that much. The problem with him, though, wasn't the production. 425 rushing yards as a freshman, six rushing touchdowns. That's pretty good for a freshman. Followed that up with 1,929 rushing yards, 23 touchdowns. As a sophomore, 1,885 rushing yards and 19 touchdowns as a junior 77 receptions, 679 yards solid receiving ability proved that he could function as a rusher was a little bit smaller but still weighed 207 the difference between him and dalvin cook is that in addition to not having that extremely great early production he had an 86 speed score so 5'9 again 207 similar in size to other backs that we've seen um, weight-wise, similar to Cook, but that uh, a 4.740-yard dash translates to a speed score of 86. So that is a huge red flag. And the reason that this is a more substantial red flag than the agility in relation to Dalvin Cook is that if you start looking at thresholds, There are very few players down in that 86 range. Normally, like once you get below like 95, 92 range, there's very few players that ever see NFL success. We have, and it's not a great percentage, but a more favorable percentage for players with poor agility succeeding in the NFL. And I think that one reason for this is you can have other traits that you use to cope with a lack of agility perhaps it's straight line speed. Uh, perhaps it's strength, the ability to break tackles or to have a good football IQ position yourself in situations where, um, you know, perhaps you let things unfold in a way that you don't have to be super agile, but speed is a hard thing to replace. If you're getting tracked down, it doesn't generally matter what else you can do. You're going to get taken down. Um, I think the reasons that it matters or the reasons that it manifests don't matter as much as the fact that there are pretty hard and fast thresholds for these. You know, we've talked about them so much, but Devin Singletary is one of the only exceptions we kind of have to that rule recently. But it's interesting, I think, to look at that Kadim Carey profile in comparison to Dalvin Cook. So hopefully that sheds a little context on why Matt and I talk so much about speed score for those of you that uh, are new to the show or new to the site. The other profile before we close out that I thought would be interesting to look at would be Chris Carson out of Oklahoma State. He was a bigger back, six feet tall, 218 pounds. Only a speed score of 99. Ran the 40 in a speed of 458. For his size, you know, that's not bad. It's, it's okay. Um, but he did have strong gr- or I probably should say like great jumping ability. Of course, that probably matters the least for running backs. Um, 517 yards, four touchdowns, 559 yards, nine touchdowns. And his only seasons of note only 30 wrecks, 298 yards career dominator of 0. 0.45. So you would not have been looking at Chris Carson as a prospect that was going to have NFL success, you probably wouldn't have been projecting him as a starter. What happens finds his way onto a team and in a system that works for a back with his skill set. You have a coach that clearly likes him, that wants to get him involved. Now Carson hasn't been a star in the NFL, but he's been a lot more useful to fantasy owners than a number of other players that had tremendous profiles. So it's hard to know with a player like Chris Carson before you have the NFL facts, what's going to shake out with them. But I think he's worth bringing up because it's interesting to keep in mind the adjustment that you have to make post the draft. And I don't know if we stress this enough. And again, I'm I'm more speaking to here, people that are new to the site or new listeners to the show of just how important that at that draft position is for running backs in the nfl and how important situation is in the nfl because what you see is players that at least get a chance to contribute in their first two years in the nfl have such a better success rate than players that it takes three or four years because we see so few players having a chance to get involved after the first two seasons. What happens is you have teams bringing in more younger players that they can be excited about. And even if a player didn't have an opportunity, they still get a stigma around them that they haven't contributed. It means they can't contribute, which might not be true. Um, So that is one of the major reasons that we have to make big adjustments. So, you know, unfortunately, I put a lot of time into building my pre-draft running back rankings but once the draft hits they're probably going to shift pretty significantly uh, so, anyways, a shorter episode here. I'd recommend going to RotoViz, checking out the Box Score Scout, pulling up the Combine Explorer, looking at more uh, players from years past. I think the thing that you're going to take away here is it's not an exact science, which is not what we like to hear. Uh, but what it really speaks to is there's this holistic profile. And I think beyond that is recognizing how hard it really is to build a model or two in your own mind, digest all of this information and pro- project running backs. So how does this factor into your approach to Dynasty? For me, what it makes me realize is how valuable running backs that you can feel extremely confident about are. So when there are players that look to you like the clear number one in a class or a player that you know is going to be strong at the next level, like a Nick Chubb from years past, Barkley, McCaffrey. I would say Jonathan Taylor this year. I would say maybe even a J.K. Dobbins. Friedman would say a DeAndre Swift. Those players are extremely valuable. Those are the type of players that you move to go and get because your uh, hit rate outside of players like that is going to be so slim. And there's so few players that do come along in the running back position that really make significant contributions that I think you really have to value those picks now i would say overall in dynasty i think that once you get out of the first three first four picks we tend to severely overvalue those draft picks but get in a particular year the 102 through 103 can be extremely valuable i think especially for teams that are looking at building around their running backs um a little bit different i think at wide receiver for a couple of reasons that we'll probably talk about in a future episode, but nonetheless, hopefully this has given a little bit more of context to profiles, demonstrates how hard it is to be sure that you can hit on these guys and kind of speaks to some of the things that you'd be looking at. If this is your first year evaluating these prospects, but still you need to remember that uh, so much of it comes down to draft position. Anyway, I will be back later in the week. Uh, I don't have the topic picked up for that show yet. Perhaps we'll uh, do a wide receiver version on this. So before Thursday, if you're interested in a similar episode like this, looking at wide receivers, shoot me a message on Twitter. As always, you can find me at Dave Cabin FF. You can email the show at RotoVisRadio at gmail.com. Head to rotoviz forward slash podcast. Make use of that 10% listener only discount. Thanks to Bet Online for sponsoring the show. Please, please, please rate, review, subscribe, unsubscribe, subscribe again to the show. Definitely helps out the channel. And we will be back next week. And remember, it's not a fantasy if you believe it.